Man, so excited uh, to be with you guys. My name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. If it's your first time, welcome. Whether you love God, dislike God, hate God, have no view of God, whatever you are with God, really glad you're here. You've been coming for a long time. I pray you know God, you love God. Really glad you're here as well. And we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of gathering as your body people who you love, who, who we believe, whom you've died for, given your life to, in a declaration of how much you care about us. Would you help us? Would you enlarge our hearts that we might run in the way of your commandments, enlarge them to understand the depth of your love? And from the depth of that love, how you call us to walk in faithfulness, how you help us do it, how you empower us to live it, but how it's something that you do come and you do call us with severity in our life. God, I'd ask that you bless this morning. You do what only you can do and it's change lives. If you're here and, and you have a faith, if you wouldn't mind, please take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life to strengthen you, to help you, or to grow you. If y'all would, please take another 10 seconds. Pray for me. Pray that I would be yielded, that I'd be helpful, and that I would have clarity of thought. <clears throat> Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege that is this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, I'm really excited to be with you. If you were with us last week, it was a real upper, a real exciting, a real just uplifting message all about sin. So if you have baggage with the church, go listen to last week. It'll just get worse. I'm kidding. It should hopefully actually make it better. But right where we're going today, I actually want to start out with a story, right? And, and I'm not celebrating this. I'm not glorying this, but it's honestly, it's where the story started. How many of us can remember the last time you were driving a car? right? And because of your driving decisions, high school students, don't raise your hand. This is not a good thing. Because of your driving decisions, someone else demonstrated to you a gesture that was far less than hospitable. How many of us can remember the last time that happened to them? Yeah? Wow. Wow. Okay. Come in next week. We'll talk about road rage, entitlement, all that kind of stuff. No, for me, I think it was 10 days ago, two weeks, something like that. Here's what happened. I'm going to break it down right? I came to a four-way stop, so stop signs. There's three cars that are involved in this. Car number one pulls up first. Car number two comes in second. I'm car number three, and I come up. We all come to the four-way stop right about the same time, pretty quickly, right about the same time, but there was definitely an order. Car one goes to turn left, which means they're going to turn down onto my street. Now, remember, I'm car number three, but car number one's going to turn left so I start thinking, you know, I, I, was, I was rushed. I wanted to get somewhere. I think, you know, they're going to turn. They're going to block car number two. If I just move quick, kind of roll through the stop sign, that's bad. Don't do that. Honor the law, right? But if I do that, I can kind of cut the corner and go. And yes, I'm kind of cutting the line, but still, I didn't slow them down technically. And I'm having all this in my head. So they come to turn. I start to go. Car number two, I will come to find out, was having a bad day. I don't know if you've seen the Fast and Furious movie franchise, all 42 of them. They channeled their inner Vin Diesel in that moment. Y'all don't know who Vin Diesel is? Okay, wow. Yeah, I don't watch the movies either. Don't worry about it. I'm very holy, 
right? They're on the line. They just jump off the line. Like they floor it. This car's coming. They see what I'm going to do. They jump off the line. I go to cut the corner. Seeing them jump, I slow down. This car wants to make sure I'm fully aware that I was wrong. And they extend to me this, this double gesture of not hospitality, right? Right? And they come, and then my response, and obviously they can't hear me. We can't talk to each other. He's yelling in his car, and I'm there, and I look at him, and I just do this. Why so upset? That was literally my gesture, right? That was literally, I was like, why do you got to be like that? Right? All the while, I jumped the corner. It wasn't good. Well, we turn. You ever had that moment with somebody where then you're on the same road, and you can either, like, yield to the Holy Spirit and de-escalate the situation, or you can not do that and make it worse. You can do the thing where you, like, drive up beside them, and you look at them, all that kind of stuff. Well, thankfully, I was on a one-lane road, Right? I was on a one-lane road, but here's the thing. That road was going to turn to where I needed to go right. They were going to go straight, so the road's going to cut right. I then have the option of a few different things, to calm the situation down or to make it worse. I don't go the way that I should have gone, right? I get in the right lane, because when you go to pass somebody, you can make it worse by, you turn and you just dead stare them. Like, you just look at them straight in their soul, or you can be the better person and look straight ahead even if you did something wrong, Right? I definitely like dead stared the guy, right? And I can remember pulling up and like, we're in Texas, so it's a little unnerving, but this is true. Like people got guns. I can remember pulling up and thinking through, all right, the light's clear. If he has a gun, just roll the light and keep going. That's literally what's going through my mind is I turn and I look. I look at him. He looks at me. He's upset. I'm upset. I don't really have a reason to be upset, right? And then, but I was kind, I pull a little past, right? And then he... He wants to match that. So again, we're caught in this bad cycle. He jumps the car. So now he pulls his car. He's staring at me again. I can de-escalate. I could calm it down. What do I do? Right? Send the window down. What does he do? Right? He starts yelling. Right? I honestly, I forget like, man, you cut me off. I I honestly don't remember. And here was my answer to him. Here was my answer. Man, why all the bad energy? Who says that? I've literally, I've never used the frame, and I'm not advocating for this. Don't do what I'm doing, right? Who says energy like that? He looks at that, but for some reason, he was so thoughtful, and he was like, you know, honestly, here's what's going on. And he said, he was like, man, my drive, it's just been like that the whole time, and I'm late to my old job. I imagine he's probably trying to get his job back, all that kind of stuff. There I am, cutting him off, and his acknowledgement. Yeah, man, no, I shouldn't have done that, but wow, the bad energy. He shares this, and I look at him and I said, well, man... I can have a tendency to have bad energy. I actually meet with a group of people who can have bad energies. Sunday morning at McKenna Children's Museum for church. I don't know if you ever want to come, but would love for you to come. Literally, this is happening right outside of that Harley Davidson store, Hans. That's the street where we're turning. I'm having this discussion with him, inviting him to come to church. And he, uh, he looks at me, and there's this moment, he's like, yeah, I could do that, Right? <laughs> And I say, all right, great, man. And then I got to go, the car behind, because we're talking, honked. I turn the corner, and I'm thinking, man, that worked out so well. Then there was another moment. The next moment, this is when the Holy Spirit really got me. When my wife reached over. Yeah. (laughs) Someone just yelled, she's in the car? It gets worse. She reached over, grabbed me by the arm, and she just said, I forget exactly, but it's something along the lines of, you should not have done that. She's very kind, very loving, right? And immediately, I'm like, well, here's why. And then I start realizing the entire scenario. I start really thinking about it. We had probably a four-minute drive home. By the time I get home, I'm asking my wife's forgiveness. 
right? She's grabbing my arm. You know who was in the back seat? At that time, my six-day-old new son, my three-year-old daughter. I'd literally come from their newborn wellness check to literally go get them looked at by a physician. And then here I am, dad on the run, doing all this driving back home. The reason I share that story, though, is because she came and she grabbed my arm. And there was some thought process that went through my head. Hey, I shouldn't have jumped the corner. Hey, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have pulled up, stared the guy down. I shouldn't have rolled down the window. The action, I should not have put my family in that situation. I should not have done any of those things. I asked her forgiveness for that as we're pulling in the driveway. Holy Spirit, literally, he's getting me, right? But there's other things I asked her forgiveness for. What had really gone wrong with me was my attitude. Like I'm in this rushed state to where I felt entitled to cut the corner. There's entitlement. I come to this moment, he gets upset with me and this arrogance rears up in, all right, man, if you'd like to talk, I'd love to talk. Foolish pride, wicked pride. This ego to where you come and then you pull beside and you think you can. It wasn't just my actions. It was my attitude. And I'm looking at her and I'm sharing, hey, forgive how my attitude impacted you and our family. Like, what if my kids had been older, right? Now, some of us, your kids have seen you do this. There's grace. Jesus loves you. We're so glad you're here, right? But it was this moment of realization. It's not just the action. It's the attitude. And the the reason that I start there is if you've been hanging out with us recently, if you've been tracking with us, we're in a series right now called You Can Change. It's this reminder to you. It's this reminder to me. Right, that if you believe in Jesus, what's true of you is you can change. You don't have to be stuck. The areas of sin in your life, you can grow from. The parts of wanting to actually get to know God, you can get to know God. You can find intimacy. God helps you. God empowers you. You can change. We've spent, I think, past four or five weeks talking about how that starts, how it begins with knowing who you are in Christ, what he's done for you, that you're forgiven, you're loved, you're cherished, you're redeemed, you're renewed. We talked about how the number one motivation for change is God's love for you and how from that love you come and you trust him. Even when it feels like, hey, do this when you don't understand, even if it feels like he's saying, because I said so. We, we gave examples of what this looks like. Two weeks ago, we talked about how if you want to start changing, you got to change the way you think. Last week, we talked about if you want to change, you have to stop playing games with sin how you have to actually take sin seriously, how so many of us, if we're honest, man, we have this superficial pursuit of sin. Like like we are okay with a cultural view of, hey, here's what that looks like. Just don't have sex before you're married and you're fine. Where we come and it's okay, right? You you may not be a full-blown angry alcoholic, but your family absolutely knows when you've had a hard day because what you cope with where we come and we're okay with this self-righteousness, when, when people who don't believe what we believe or are hurt or are working through faith, they get around us and they're like, I don't want to ever be like that person. And we're okay with that. I can tolerate that in my own life. And last week we talked about how we have to stop playing games with sin. And the first thing we talked about is if you're gonna do that, you have to kill your sinful actions. Sin matters, guys, and what fuels killing these things? It's a love for Christ, a grace-driven effort in your soul, but you gotta kill the sinful action. What we're gonna talk about today 
is beneath the action is oftentimes you got to kill sinful attitudes. It's amazing because Jesus has been about this from day one. Jesus knows something about you and he knows something about me. He wants to come and capture the heart, train the heart, teach the soul. Like if you grew up in church, you, you may be familiar with the phrase of cut off the hand, tear out the eye, right? It's this pursuit of kill sinful actions. It's true. But here's what, Jesus will help you cut off the hand, tear out the eye as he comes to conquer the heart. That's what he's after. That's what he's moving towards. You do that as you move towards. So guys, today what I wanna do is I wanna talk about part two. As we talk about quit playing games, stop playing games. You can change, but in order to do that, you must take your sin seriously. Jesus takes sin seriously. You gotta kill the actions, but as we'll see today, you gotta kill the attitudes. We're gonna be in Colossians chapter three. Last week, we looked at verses five through seven. Today, we're really gonna focus on verse eight, and we're gonna kind of jump out of verse eight, and then I'm gonna give you guys kind of a, an update or a recap of nine through 11, because where we'll go in next week's, we're gonna talk about the 12 through 17 and following of Colossians. So I'll give an update. What Paul's doing in this section of Colossians chapter three, he's writing this letter and he's instilling in a church, he's instilling in people who believe in Jesus, not just, and this is his first two chapters of Colossians, who Christ is, his supremacy, what he's done, but how we as believers are called to live in submission, real connected submission. And he's after this because Paul knows what Jesus knew, what Jesus knew is what you and I are capable of. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this verse. It's, it's Matthew 23. It's the chapter. It kind of sets the stage for what we are all capable of. How we can focus on some things to the neglect of what's inside, the internal, the attitude. To set up Colossians 3, I want to give this, this backdrop of what Jesus confronts in Matthew 23. I call this the woe chapter. We don't have enough time to break it all down. But Matthew 23, verses 27 to 28. You don't have to turn there. Jesus, he's talking to these religious leaders, these, these high church folk. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then he calls them hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly you appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. You see there's a difference between the external, the actions, what people can see, and what's on the inside, what you can hide, what no one can directly see. 28, so also you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hey, church, you know what we're gonna do? For the glory of God, for eternal weight, because it matters, because the beauty and the integrity of the soul, the power of the Holy Spirit within you, the intimacy and the fellowship with God, because he loves us, because we are forgiven and free in Christ. From that, we will take serious the killing of sin. Our actions, as we'll see today, our attitudes. So read with me Colossians chapter three as we recap this. I'm gonna start in verse five, recap it, but again, we'll focus on eight, but I'll go all the way through 11. Paul starts, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Last week, we talked about what severity do Christians, those who know the love of Christ, who Christ died for the sin, what severity do we apply to our sin? You put it to death. This means lethal determination, 
utterly kill it. Premeditated, planned out murder of what seeks to kill you. That's the severity. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We talked about how that verse, it applies one way to believers and another to those who don't believe or neglect or don't care. Verse seven, in these you too once walked. This is no longer who you are. Don't live this way. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. We talked about how if you want to change, you must kill sin. Puritans, Puritans, these kind of theologians, 1500s, things like that came to America. They call this mortification. John Owens, we read a quote, the mortification of sin. We talked about, he has this famous line that perhaps you've heard before, the vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. There's an absolute correlation between your intimacy with God, your faithfulness, the strength in which you walk, and how you treat sin in your life. What I love about what John Owen says, he said, with the deeds of the flesh. What Paul's going to show you and I, it's not just the deeds. It's what fuels the deeds. It's the attitudes. It's the beliefs. It's the mindsets. It's the false lies that you hold to be truths. You must war with those as well. You got to keep going towards the root. Here we come to verse 8. I'm going to read it, and then we'll move on to recap 9 and 11, then jump back into 8. But now you must put them all away. Remember, he said put to death. Now he's saying put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We'll come back. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Paul coming out of this word lie, it's not just like lying and mistelling the truth. It's falsehood. It's intentional deception. Scholars, they kind of talk about what it means, right? Which, which way is he intentionally implying this? What I, I think he's meaning here is stop pretending that you're actually taking these things seriously. He's saying, hey, quit lying to one another. Quit playing church. Quit showing up Sundays, acting like everything's fine, fronting to people, not being sincere, having a facade, the appearance of holiness when your life is in shambles. Students, singles, couples, empty nesters, whoever, don't lie to one another. And then he says why. And what he goes on to do here, he's going to summarize really the theme of 1 through 17. It's a beautiful summary. Seeing that you have put off the old self, we'll talk about what that means, with its practices. That's essentially, man, you got to kill sin, right? you got to kill sin. You've put off the old self. We'll explain that. And then you put on the new self, which is learning to be renewed after the image of its creator. This is where we're going to go next week. This week, the past two weeks, we were only focusing on you got to kill sin, but you put things off. But what we'll talk about is what you put on. The way you win spiritual battles is you kill sin. The way you win spiritual war is you fall in love with God. You change your affections. You stir your heart. You draw near to him. You get to know him because he's lovely. He's kind. He's for you. You cling to his promises and you get to know him. But as you do that, you kill sin. And he gives verse 11 here. Lost my place. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. It's this interesting section where sometimes people are like, wait, why, why did he put that here? What Paul's doing culturally is he's called people to kill sin, 
And then he summarized this whole theme in this part of this letter of saying, and you got to put off, you got to put on. Here's how you change. Here's how you pursue things of eternal glory in your life, in your family, in your singleness, in your discipleship of the home, for your neighbors, for your company. Here's how you do this. And then Paul starts pulling from opposites in that culture where he's saying it does not matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from, what is your background. You got national differences, doesn't matter. You got religious background differences, doesn't matter. You have different cultural differences, doesn't matter. You you have different uh, economic differences, doesn't matter. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you can accomplish the putting off putting on. It's this hopeful reminder. That's why this, this, this passage has preached for two, or excuse me, for two millennia to countless different cultures, continents, peoples. It's cross-cultural. It's universal because it's between us and God. That's why we quit. We stop playing games. So as we saw last week, you got to kill the actions. Now I want to jump back up into verse eight and really talk about how do we kill attitudes? Because church, people who believe in Christ, this matters. And even if you don't believe in Christ, if you fight to try to do this more in your life, one of the things that's true is you have positivity and you have negativity. If you grow in awareness of your attitude, you grow in self-awareness. One of the things we all know to be true is self-aware people tend to be far healthier people. So even if you come and you're looking at this from a non-godly perspective, I do believe it can help you. Yet here's what I will implore. The reason it'll help you is you've been designed for it. The reason it'll help you is there's a God in heaven who set you up for it. And this is all true. So read with me again verse 8. I'm going to jump back up verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Man, I'm pumped. Right? So as we continue talking about part two, stop playing games with sin. Take sin seriously. How seriously did Jesus Christ take sin? He died on your behalf for it. You will never be able to outtake seriously sin in your life than what Jesus did. You'll never be able to do it. What does he call you to do? Put it to death, to kill it, to crucify it. Take it seriously. Paul, he's going to start by talking about that severity again. If you remember, his language from last week was put it to death. His language this week is put them all away, put them all off. My daughter, Lily, I've shared this a little bit before. She's three, so she's potty training, right? My family and I, we're, we're weird. We are the organic people. You can totally think less of us. We spend way too much money for things that don't make that big of an impact. It's totally true, right? We, she came, she's transitioning out of diapers and into like just general underwear because she's growing up, but she's potty training. One of the things that happens though is you have accidents. We had a friend, three kids. She came, she's talking to my wife. We're looking at, man, we're going to go buy cotton, gold-laced underwear for a three-year-old, right? We're going to do all that. And she's looking, she's saying, no, 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 you don't get it. That's not what you want. You want the cheapest Throw away, put it off underwear you possibly can. Why? Because if there's a mess, you want to wrap that thing in a bag and you chuck it in the trash. We're not cleaning it. We're not washing it. We're not doing any of that. You know what we do every time my daughter has a major mess? We wrap that thing in a bag and we trash it as filthy. 
the language right here that Paul's using for put them all away. It's literally talking about taking off filthy clothes and throwing them off you. It's literally the language for get this off me and throwing it aside for taking off clothes. You put it to death. You remove it. You have nothing to do with it. And then he goes to talk about different attitudes, right? He goes through a list. He says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Anger, this is a smoldering resentment. This is bitterness. This is, this is frustration. L- let me ask you, how are you doing at not holding grudges? I love this because so many folks I talk, or in my own life, right? We forget where we leave our keys, yet we can remember a cruel thing someone said against us seven years ago. How are we doing at holding grudges? We say that things are fine, and then we get around our in-laws, our family, our friends, and there's this tense anxiety, nervousness, tension. How are we doing with this attitude? Wrath, the one that comes after this, this is where, where wrath is where anger pops off. That's where it really shows up. Anger, it maybe can be passive aggressive. This is overtly aggressive, where you come and you're losing your temper. Let me ask you, do people have to walk on eggshells around you? Like, you know how where they come, and because you cannot manage your emotions, people manage you, right? Some people, especially environments you grew up in, you absolutely know what I'm talking about, where in order to keep them stable, you placate. You walk on eggshells. Like, let, let me ask, do people get nervous around you in your office, your spouse, students at school, your friends, your community group, the person you're dating? Do you have topics in your life that if people brush up against them, it's like a powder keg? That's an attitude. It's something that must be dealt with. He says, Malice. Malice is just general moral evil towards others. These are two that it's in a social context that Paul's using. So how does this show up in relationships? Because one of the difference between an attitude and an action, an action oftentimes it impacts other people, yes. But there are instances where it can be isolated to you. Attitudes, though, they show up corrupting the heart, but they have this spillover effect on the lives of others. They rarely just impact me. They often because of my sin, come to impacting others. Slander. Slander we know is it's like falsely speaking ill of someone. What I didn't know until I studied this, though, what was fascinating is slander. It's actually in the English, the the Greek word we get there. In the English, it leads to the English word blaspheme. Why would it be blaspheme? Because when you speak ill of someone, you tear down someone, believer or not believer, Lover of Jesus or doesn't love Jesus? You tear down someone who has been made in the image and likeness of God. We have a culture that does not do this well. Turn on your television. Who is meant to do this well? You. Me. We go after the attitude. And then obscene talk. That's Paul just saying, man, anytime your heart is just corrupted, and from that, it just overflows onto people. It's him throwing the kitchen sink because he knows so many of us could sit here and think, well, no, I don't do that, and anger's gotten better, and I don't really pop off, and I haven't punched a hole in the wall for a while. And he's like, all right, you just said hurtful things recently? And obscene talk. Guys, Jesus has always been really serious about this. Like when it comes to attitudes, man, because why? He's always after the heart. 
We referenced this last week. Jesus' first public sermon, like his coming out party, he's got a huge crowd of followers. And what is he going to do right at the beginning? You can go back and read Matthew 5, 6, 7. He absolutely calls them out in their sinful attitudes. He addresses their anger. He addresses wrong sexual desire, the attitude of entitlement and taking. He addresses their self-righteousness. You know, one of the first groups of people that Jesus ruthlessly goes after would have been like the the modern-day equivalent of like church folk. He said, hey, man, you have the appearance of righteousness, but man, you're doing this for them. You're not doing it for me. Walk in holiness with me. It's attitude. He goes after greed. You cannot love God and love money. You will be a slave to one and not the master to the other. He goes after greed. He goes after control. He goes after anxiety. He goes after self-reliance. He goes after faking peace and living in passivity. He goes after looking down on other people as you sit in your own internal sense of an ivory tower. He tears them all down. You know what he's tearing down? Attitudes, beliefs, mindsets. Because he knows if he can get to the heart, it changes me, it changes you. That's why we take this seriously. One of my favorite books, I act like I've read this. I saw a play, and I've read chapters, right? C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, if you don't know him, 20th century theologian, he wrote this letter, or excuse me, this book. We're in the book, and it's, it's fiction, but it's based on this potential biblical reality. It's fascinating, right? Where there is a uh, higher demon writing a letter to a lesser demon. This lesser demon has been... Uh, assigned to a family, to a man, to a woman, to tempt them, to mess with their faith, to get them off the path of faithfulness, to take them away from God, to destroy faithfulness in them. This older demon is writing these letters to advise him, to give him instruction, right? The context of this is this lesser demon, and I'm pretty sure, he's come and he said, hey, all these crazy, external, sinful actions, he, the family, they're taming them. They're taming them, but they become kind of distracted. They, it's like they, they care less about the sin because they've gotten better, but they're still not the same pursuit of holiness. What should I do? I want to read to you what this, the higher demon is instructing to the lesser demon. He writes to him, strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins. That's the external. That's the giving your heart to all the wrong things, living in distraction, right? This is everything from blatant adultery to checking out and coping with Netflix. You'll track that? Having far more effort and interest in pursuit of tracking a college football team than drawing near in holiness. That saying, my children will respect me and not discipling them in the love of the Lord. Then saying, no, I'm, I'm dating, I'll care for you, I will love you as Christ. Yet there's this total duplicity as you drag someone into sin. Sweet sins, distracted, some overt, some not. Not in sweet sins, but he says, but in a dreary flickering of the mind. Over it knows not what, it knows not why. Listen to this, church. It does not matter how small the sins are provided, that their cumulative effect, even if it's small, even if it's these attitudes, even if it's the stuff that other people can't see, but these minor things warring against your soul, even if they're small, does not matter if their cumulative effect 
is to edge the man or the woman away from the light and towards the nothing. I love the final line. He says, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. And here's the deal as he wrote this. He didn't have a TV to binge on. He didn't have Xbox to check out, right? He didn't have to have and come the same alcoholism or you pick whatever dysfunction, the spiritual apathy. He's saying, hey, man, if you can't get him to commit the grievous sin of murder, but he has this attitude of apathy toward the things of God. If he lives in what I would call spiritual apathy, or to say it a little more severely, spiritual impotence, as long as he's distracted, the end effect is the same. As long as he's distracted, the end of the effect is the same. Because it's a broken attitude. Guys, Christ has come for you and he's come for me to change. That takes place in actions. It takes place in attitudes. I had a friend that really modeled this really well for me. Community group. I got a buddy, Tim. He's a part of my community group. Just a, a regular group of guys walking by faith trying to pursue Christ. He's been reaching out, sharing about work, being a little more stressful recently. He's been going to these big meetings and saying, hey, will you pray for me? Feeling nervousness. There's been a change. He was reflecting. He was spending time with God, and the Holy Spirit came after him. And the Holy Spirit brought to light in him, hey, guys, I think where this is coming from, it's a sinful attitude. Like he was working hard by all means on all account. He's pursuing excellence in his job. He's reaching out for prayer. You would have never really known. And then he sends out this note, hey guys, I think it's actually a sinful attitude in me. I'm trying to find significance in my job. I'm trying to find a sense of validation, a sense of status. I'm trying to make my job communicate to me and to others my worth. And this nervousness, this worry, it's not God doing this to me, this is me. He reached out, I love it too, our group meet met Thursday, he reached out way before, as soon as he realized it. We have a group me thread. You don't ever wait to come and bring things to the light till you gather as a community group here at the Springs. You tell them immediately. He reached out, we encourage, we pray, we come, our group gathers. It's just the guys. He comes, we're reminded of that, and guess what happens? He goes around the room. That sinful attitude he'd brought to the light, brought to the light. All of a sudden, there's the realization, another group member. Yeah, man, here's how that can impact me. Here's me, my view, relationship with the boss. Hey, yeah, man, here's how that can impact me. Me, my view, relationship, career. Hey, man, here's how that can impact me. You want them to like you. You want them to stick around. You want them to connect. Versus, no, nah, man, shepherd them. If they leave, it's up to them. Walk by faith. Call them to the truth of God's word in love. You don't do this for others. You do it from God. You see how righteousness in him didn't settle at the level of action. It went to the attitude. We got to do this. As, as I've been reflecting on this, I was thinking through, well, why, why do so many of us not have a tendency to do this? Why do I not have a tendency to do this in my own life? And I came up with four reasons. Four reasons I want to share with you. Maybe there's more. These are the best four I could think of. One, we don't want to. Like, no one likes, and if you say you do, it's you yielding the Holy Spirit, but you're probably a liar. No one likes dragging sin into the light. I don't like when my wife reaches over and grabs my arm and says, hey, honey, that wasn't your best. Now, eventually, because of the Holy Spirit, I come to appreciate it and love her more for it. But in that moment, what happens to me? Oh, I'll tell you why it was my best. And I double down. 
We don't want to. But Christ's love for you, it's too important not to. The Holy Spirit in you overcomes this. The second one I came up is, we think we don't need to. By the way, I think this is the number one problem with the American church. I think this is the number one problem with the spiritual condition in New Braunfels. I think this is the number one problem in the springs. That's not to say this is everyone. But I think so many of us, we come and we think through, well, man, I'm, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, therefore I'm fine, I check these boxes. And what I would celebrate is, yes, praise God, praise God. Keep going. How do we become more tender as husbands? How do we become better caretakers of our community? How do we become people who pursue excellence in the workplace, yet don't do it for an attaboy or an girl or a status or wealth? How do we become people who continue to kill the creeping greed in our life? How do we become people who when we have a major conflict with a spouse or with a friend, we don't just result to just cleaning our house? You know why? When you feel out of control, your external environment, you want to force a sense of control. You tidy things when you can't tidy that. You know what your broken attitude in that moment is? Lord, I trust you. Your will be done. I don't need control of the environment. I need to trust you. You are good. You say that you are for me, and because you're for me, nothing can be against me. Do you see the fight of the attitude? We all need this. The apostle Paul needed this. Every follower of Jesus Christ needs this. We are no better. I am no better. Even once when you have the moment where you have a bad day and you want to throw yourself a pity party and say, woe is me. There's moments to come in real grief. And there's moments to fight what so often can fuel that. Insecurity. Entitlement. Fear. And you fight it with what? Truth. We war against the attitude. The third reason I've thought we're too busy, we're too distracted. I almost put this as the number one. Like this is where literally you just go through life and it's nonstop, 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 and you never have the time to stop and reflect on the things of God. This is why a daily connection with him, church, it's not optional. It's a gift. It's not even like a forced mandatory show up for early morning PT like you're in the military. It's to get a chance to connect with a Father in heaven who loves you, who wants to protect you from the lies of yourself and the lies of the world. Fourth reason. I don't think anyone's ever really discipled us in how to do this. No one's ever really talked about this. Like with the church, and if you grew up, like in my opinion, like what we've become really great at is we're going to create certain sins, right? You, you pick um, whatever the most scandalous sins are, and we're going to point at those those are terrible. Those are evil. Don't do those. All the while, we live in a false sense of spiritual integrity while we tear down them when God says, come, let justice roll down in you. How Jesus wants to come and by faith set people free, not just from the reality of sinful actions, but sinful attitudes. The, the husband who views himself as an a broken spiritual leader, so he stops trying to shepherd the home. 
That's tremendously untrue of you. You are loved. You're empowered. You don't have to have it all together. This looks different in every way. Partner with your wife. Care for them. Let's say your kids know that you don't have integrity to lead them. Ask their forgiveness. Try to do it. When you mess it up, ask their forgiveness again. Try to do it. When you mess it up, ask their forgiveness again. The false attitude is that God doesn't want it, that he's okay if you don't, and he won't help you. You see how when we do this, things change. It's how we really become a city on a hill. Do you know that? It's how you actually live as salt. Church, if you believe in Jesus Christ, this is what he wants for you. It's absolutely what he wants for me. I want to share five questions that I use in my own life and the lives of friends that help me do this. Because what we're talking about is when there's sin and we want to change, you must come and stop playing games. The five questions you got to address, they help me and they help you. So if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, this is what you need to do with you, what you need to do with others. Your community group, it's simple. You've heard these. Who, what, when, where, why, how. Six things. I said five, right? Who, in my own life, when sin happens, who was I with? Who was I running with? What was I tracking? What? What did I do? This is one that people have a difficulty doing with because when we come and we sin, we want to minimize sin. This is why even when we go to apologize to our spouses, we start to say, hey, I'm sorry, but. We start to explain, and our explanation, it comes across as justification. Just own your sin. Say, will you forgive me? God knows the whole story. And he's the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. So entrust the whole story to him. But you come and you honestly acknowledge the what. When you give way to sexual sin, you don't say you tripped, you fell, you slipped, you slid. You don't say when you got in an argument with your wife, yeah, we were just frustrated with each other. We had a little thing, but it's fine now. Here's why, church. One, that allows people to stay, right, in darkness. Frustrated with a spouse can be everything from, right, Everything from tremendously unhealthy environment, we need to bring people in immediately. Two, hey, we're screaming and we're cussing at each other and plates are thrown. That could be everything from, hey, we were driving down the road and our kids were in the back seat, and honestly, they got to see mom and dad resolve conflict biblically in a way that created a sense of integrity in them. Or, hey, kids were in the room asleep and they heard mom and dad screaming and cussing at one another and then they were taken to church the next day. One of the values here at the spring is live authentically. To say it differently, just be biblically honest. You don't have to overdo it, but we have a tendency to underdo what happened. Be honest about what happened. I know, it's such an uplifting talk. Who, what, when, hey, when did this take place? You gotta, you gotta think through the triggers for some of this stuff, because we are all patterns. When did it take place? Were you at home alone? Was this just after your boss came and gave you a bad review? Was this just after your wife said, hey, you let me down again? Right, was this just after your husband? Was this just after your friend? When you went in the lunchroom to find a place to sit, they totally bailed and went to someone else because you're no longer as popular as you were. The when matters, where matters too. Hey, were you alone? Were you at work? Were you just with your wife? Were you out in the car? Where matters how? Hey, how did you get access? How did you escalate? How did you speak to her? How did you cut him down? How did you care for your kids after? How did you clean up the scenario? Who, what, when, where, how? And the one that really matters, the why. 
why do you think you did that? Why do you think you felt that way? There's a tremendous difference in the health of the soul when people ask the why of themselves. Because here's the thing, I have a tendency to do a lot of things, right? Some of them totally not sinful. Some of them sinful. You know what the difference between the two is? Motive. My wife, right? I can absolutely, even in the confines of marriage, have sex with her in a sinful way. Is my heart selfish? Do I feel entitled? You see how I can take something that's neutral and make it sinful? So can you. Hey, there's a moment where you're with your family, right? And family's going astray. They're going astray. They're missing it. And you have the opportunity, mom, dad, to bring them back on the path. But as you go to do it, you do it with this domineering sense. And then you tell yourself why you were right and they were wrong and you're caring for them. And you double down in the rationalized justification. Even if you were totally right, your motive in it was wrong. How are we doing at sharing our faith? Talking to strangers, talking to neighbors, talking to coworkers, talking to servers. Hey, do you have a faith? You know Jesus Christ loves you. I know it may sound totally strange. I'd love to share with you what he's done in my life. If you ever want to come, I got a group of friends, man, we hang out. We'd love to talk with you about it. I, I know it's weird, but man, you're totally invited. The why, why don't we do that? We're fearful, we're nervous. Maybe some of us, we think we're going to have to answer a question about the dinosaurs every single time. But you track with why matters in your own life. Okay, John, who, what, when, where, why, how? Community group, hey, could you help me? You don't investigate, right? You don't just interrogate someone in a moment. You remind them of who they are in Christ, but then you seek clarity. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Why does this matter? When you do this, get to the root of sin, and that matters. Last fall, I, I moved here two years ago, had a lawnmower. My wife and I, we got a house, had this lawnmower since I was 11. I left it out front of my house for two nights. Why? I'm an idiot. The other reason, I didn't think there was any crime in New Braunfels. Turns out there's a serious lawnmower thief. I want you all to be aware and be warned. My lawnmower was stolen in the fall, Right? So here's what I did. I said, eh, I'll wait till spring. My lawn, y'all, because it rains so much this whole winter, and like winter here is summer everywhere else, our grass in the backyard literally got up to be this high. Like literally, my dog, we got a lab, she's a little tall. It looked like she was like a lion on the Serengeti as she just would walk through it, right? It was ridiculous. I have two paths, though, in my backyard. See, I have two paths. One goes to this back office, and the other goes to this shed. And when I let the lawn go, I let the paths go. You see that? When I came, I had to fix these paths, though. I had to come, and they were full of grass everywhere. Because they'd come, it's on these pebbled paths, these rocks, and grass had come up. And I had two options to come and take these out. I have this uh, weed eater, right? What I can do is I can take this weed eater, and I can go, and I can cut down these paths really low to where there's this white rock. It would hide them. I could cut down every single one of these. It would have taken me like 30 minutes cut down every single one of these on a path. Or I can go and painstakingly lean over, grab something by the root, begin to pull gently, because you've got to start gently, and then once you have the root, pull strong. And I can do that to every single one of those along the path. Let me show you. I want to give a picture of first the, the clean path where I did this, right? 
right? The clean section where we came and you saw this is the correct way, the painstaking way, the way where after about four hours with sweat on the end of my forehead brought something different as I went to pull something up by the root. I don't think there's a picture behind me though, so I'm trying to fill the space to get the picture. So if we've got the pain one of uh, where it went totally wrong, I'd show you all that too. Because here's the deal, guys. We come and what we do is we mow over weeds. We mow over weeds in our own spiritual health and condition. And here's what happens. You can do that. And that weed, it's going to blend in with grass for like two to three days, maybe four. And then over time, what happens? That weed sprouts way faster than grass. And you can see the difference. You can see the distinction. Jesus Christ does not want you mowing over weeds. He wants you coming and examining the root of sin in your life. Hey, that took me like five and a half hours. Let's clap for me. Yes, thank you. Thank you. No, painstaking, man. That whole thing was filled. It's probably 40 feet long. Grass everywhere. You come and you labor on behalf of that. You pull it up by the root and you sweat. It's exhausting. Let me show you my other path, right? Let me show you that. There you go. Can you see it? Yeah, look at her. She's shocked. She's like, I have to go to another church now. That's terrible. Half y'all are going to show up at my house this afternoon. I got a lawnmower. It's going to be fixed. Just give me some time, right? Here's the other path. Here's the deal, though. So many of us spiritually, this is a visual of the condition of our heart. We have one area that people see, man, it's manicured. We'd come, pull it up by the root. It's real well trimmed. And then we have this whole area off to the side. We don't talk about it. We don't look at it. We don't address it. We don't deal with it. Here's what you must do. Deal with it. You want to change? Deal with it. You want to grow? Deal with it. God loves you too much. He loves you too much to bless you in the midst of active disobedience. He can't do it. It would be unkind, and he is always kind. So then you can come to the filthy path. You can come, and you have the option. Man, you can get out the weed eater. You can cut it down. It'll go so much faster. You just weed all that down. Or get on your hands and your knees. You go blade by blade, weed by weed, and you reach to the base. You begin to pull tenderly because you don't fully know what's there. And then as soon as you have the grip and the realization, you yank. This is where you come and you begin to think about perhaps the, the addiction to pornography or the addiction to getting validation from other people on your social media or your likes or whatever that is or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And you begin to think, okay, don't just stop. I will no longer put an unwholesome thing before my eyes. I will live in the fear and the fear of God alone. Yes, those are good, but pull it by the weed. What's fueling you? Inadequacy. Sense of being less than. Sense of feeling like a fraud, perhaps. You know what the solution to that? He knows who you are. He loves who you are. In him, you're forgiven. You're free. You pull it by the root. You come and you have a history of broken dating, broken decisions in dating. And you just think, no, I'm just finding this and eventually I'll find the right guy. Or if you say the thing, oh, I always just pick the wrong girl or I always just pick the wrong guy. You've got to look at the root. Were you hurt? Were you impacted? You come and you examine the landscape of your family and you want to disciple them, but you think to yourself, I have no idea how to disciple myself. How do you come and examine the root? God is for me. God will help me. 
God will train me. We will train you. Pull it up by the root. Church, you want real health? Like, like freedom of conscience kind of health. Unity in marriage. A light is a city on the hill. Kill things at the root. Who? What? When? Where? Why? How? We have to stop playing games when it comes to sin. I know this is serious talk. One of the things, if you're coming to this and you're hearing this talk for the first time, you may have this tendency to think your job is to pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps, just fix yourself, stop it, get your life together. Here's what I'm pleading for you to know. One, go listen to every talk that's led up to this. You gotta hear this in context of all the others, of who you are in Christ. Two, greatest thing you could ever do is acknowledge he loves you just as you are. Despite your foolish, your broken yard, your garden, the sin you tolerate, and it literally convicts your conscience right now. In Christ, forgiven, free, holy, blameless, loved. And because you're there, because he's gifted you this, fight for freedom. We kill sinful actions. We kill sinful attitudes. We have to stop playing games. And I'm excited for next week where we start talking about, as we stop playing games, how do you start pursuing the things of God? How do you fall in love with him? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are, for what you've done in our lives. God, would you come and make this true at this church? Father, we do not want to be... Um, uh, hypocritical, whitewashed tombs, having the appearance of righteousness, but having no actual righteousness. God, would you, would you assault our broken attitudes? Would you set us free? Lord, I thank you that in Christ you've done this. I thank you that you want to keep doing it. God, would you change people's eternities today as they see that you are kind, you are loving, you are merciful, and you are just. From that love, we are called to follow. Make this true in my life. Make this true in the Springs. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, if you have questions about anything, please don't hesitate to come up and ask. If you want to come and mow that section of my lawn, please don't hesitate to come up and offer. I'll totally take advantage of it. But y'all really, y'all have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.